0: Welcome back to Meno Healthcast as I speak with Joyce Sawatsky, who is pastor at Satterton Mennonite Homes in Satterton PA a fairly unique position in a senior living community. Joyce started her career path with an undergraduate degree in nursing at Eastern Mennonite University and has spent her life doing various ministries until finally finding her heart's calling at Living Branches Satterton Mennonite Homes where she was ordained just a few years ago. In her ministry, she uses her passion of storytelling to capture the narrative of her congregation. In fact, one of her congregants was my feisty great aunt Ruth Yothers, who died at 108 in 2016. We recorded this episode of Menos and Medicine before the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Joy, thank you for meeting with me Mm -hmm. today. It was a pleasure to talk with you. You started attending Easter Mennonite University in Virginia to become a nurse. What led you to that decision? Mm.
1: Well, at the time, I was deciding what I wanted to be and do. I, I wanted to work in a hospital setting but didn't feel like I had a lot of choices. You know, initially, it was either education or nursing or going into an office setting, and I thought I wanted to be in a hospital. My father was sure I should be a doctor, but I wasn't so convinced. <laughs> so anyway, I went into nursing and uh, at EMU and uh, actually spent some years in Colorado working as a nurse in VS went to Haiti and did some education in healthcare and then came back and mostly worked as a visiting nurse in all my years visiting nurse and then in later years it was in healthcare setting, I mean in a retirement community setting
0: tell me about some of the service you've done as a nurse
1: ah you mean like MCC in Haiti well f- well first it was in Colorado with um, as a volunteer I served two years in the hospital there. That was as a gra- started as a graduate nurse. And so we were there for two and a half years in La Junta, Colorado. From there went to Haiti and set up a healthcare program and based it on, there was a doctor in Africa, and I can't remember his name, that did all his health education through use of story. And that's actually how I got connected to story. So all my teaching was done, and now with my... Later, year wisdom, I would have had Haitian women write the stories. When I was there, I wrote the stories. And when I saw the women perform a story in church on a Sunday morning about diarrhea and a rehydration fluid, I knew I had succeeded in giving them the information they needed to empower themselves to help their families. And so that got me started on story and healthcare. Came back and also served for six years in Miami with MCC, and there I worked as a visiting nurse, mostly. I was a school nurse for a year or two, but mostly I was a visiting nurse in the Haitian community as much as I could be.
0: What does it mean to be a visiting nurse?
1: That means you go into someone's home, and you see their entire environment, and you just follow up and make sure that they have everything they need to succeed and get well. So in Miami, when I went into a Haitian family's home, and I could speak Creole, they were just delighted this Unruly healthcare system, and here came someone that could speak their language and interpret for them. So that was really probably my favorite part of being a visiting nurse. But you get to know people, you get have relationships, and help problem solve for them.
0: How did you go from nurse to pastor?
1: Ah, let's see. That would be because there were people along the way that are always tapping me on the shoulder and telling me that I had some uh, gifts, some gifts that I should use in ministry. And so would have started out in some church leadership in our tiny church in Miami, and kept running into people on a conference level that kept telling me you really need to be involved in a church. So my husband Walter and I co-pastored in Homestead. We went from Miami in our MCC. When it was time to leave there, we went to Homestead, Florida, and we co-pastored a church for a couple of years. So it was usually people tapping me on the shoulder and saying, you've got some gifts, you need to use them. And so I had this love-hate relationship with the church, so I would try, and then I'd leave, then I'd try, then I'd leave. And uh, yeah, so eventually I'm back.
0: Were there any other pastoring positions that you held since being in Florida before you came here to Satterton?
1: No. I I was co-pastor there at Homestead Mennonite Church for a bit, and then moved to Satterton Mennonite Church and was the... You know, I I had such a long title, I can't remember it. I I coordinated one thing, and I was a director of another, and it had to do with worship and congregational care. And so I was there for several years um, before I... Otherwise, it was just volunteer roles.
0: I understand, though, you didn't really seek ordination until you came here to Southerton Mennonite Homes. Can you tell me more about that? Right.
1: I was invited to be ordained in Homestead uh, when I was a pastor there, and I just wasn't convinced... Like I had this love-hate relationship with the church. I wasn't convinced that I was called to be part of this for a lifetime. So I declined. I don't remember if the second time was in Florida or if it was after I got back to um, Pennsylvania that I was invited to be ordained, and I still was not convinced. And it wasn't until I was at Satterton Homes and some of the women in, here at Satterton Homes said, you need to do this for us. So the residents actually convinced me
0: that I needed to be ordained. Why did those women want you to be ordained? What was it giving to them?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, they, we, didn't, we didn't talk about it specifically. My sense was they, there was a certain amount of pride in who I was and who I was becoming and my role with them. And that gave them some, um, yeah, it just gave them some more sense of position with having a woman be ordained in their presence. She said, She said. actually, one woman said, you're one of us. You need to get ordained and do it here. I was going to do something private. They said, no, you need to do it here. So that felt very good.
0: Can you tell me about your congregation here at Saturday Mennonite Homes?
1: My congregation probably varies in age from the early 70s into the nine, and over 100 years of age. Yeah. And majority, probably two-thirds are at least are Mennonite. Most of them have have become part of the congregation because of of mobility limitations so they can't get out to their own church. When the weather's bad, we always have a really huge turnout. Normally on a Sunday morning we average about 90, 90, 95. That's better than a lot of small churches. Yeah. So we're a real church, which is what I feel like I have to convince people of sometimes. They come and they're surprised, but we're a real church there is this sort of spectrum where some people just show up because they've always done it and they some people come and they sleep but then there's this core that really listens well and so you can't just sort of phone it in you have to really be thoughtful and you know everything you would do in another church so we have a regular worship service of worship leaders and song leaders and pianists and it's a real Sunday morning service and uh they are they are they love to be challenged um and so that's the fun part of it is to continue to try to challenge them but i don't feel like it's my role to change them at this stage of their lives i like to buy, provide some security and comfort and yet keep nudging them in a direction of challenge and so it's a lot of fun
0: can you tell me like how did you find this place how did you what was it that made you say, this is my place, this is my congregation, I want to be ordained here?
1: Yeah, well, I the, last, the person that was here before me, I had actually referred her to the position. I knew it was open, and I knew she was looking, and I referred her to the position, and I knew she was leaving, and I wanted to leave my job. I was commuting an hour to an hour and a half one way every day, uh, working with homeless women and children, and wanted to be in my community. So I just thought, thought I'd try it. Because I figured that I like to think outside the box too much for a place like Satterton Mennonite Homes. You know, I thought I'm, you know, I don't like the words, I don't like the categories of liberal and, and progressive and all those things, but I figured I was too progressive for the community here. And I was not here long at all before I realized I had made some assumptions that were not true. That, that those categories don't fit. That um, the more I was myself, the more they loved me. And that's what they... I just feel like they loved me into healing here. And so, um, like I mentioned earlier, every two or three years for the past, I don't know how many years, I would look for a new job because I was bored. I have never been bored in my eight and a half years here. I've never looked for another job. I love the people I meet. I love their life stories. Yeah, there are so many ways that I love being part of this stage of someone's life and giving value and honor to who they are now because so many people dismiss them when they get older
0: did you have a transformational moment when you knew like that your ministry was going to be with these older adults or did it come on quietly
1: yeah um i can't pinpoint in a specific moment um it was more of a quiet thing but i do know that you know, i'm not a big one for organized church you know i still have a larger church have a love hate relationship because of the way the institution treats people, sometimes brings out the worst in us. I know it brings out the best in us also. But, you know, when I would sit there on a Sunday morning and watch the residents come in on a Sunday morning, and I would get this stirring that this is really exciting to watch everybody come into church on a, on a Sunday morning. I loved that. That's a, that was a clue. Another thing is I began to love doing funerals, and that's probably my favorite thing that I do here. Is funerals.
0: What is it about the funerals that you love doing?
1: Again, it's connecting with people's life stories and being able to be honest with the family and the people that gather um, about the good and the bad, encouraging, helping people find ways to be challenged and inspired by the life. I just think everybody's life has value, and being able to tease out what that is, remind the remaining generations of what that is and what they can take from that, and... Yeah, for me, it's around story. And so there's something holy about being present with a family that's sitting vigil with their loved one, as hard as that is. It's really hard, but that's my favorite thing that I do.
0: What do you mean by sitting vigil with a family?
1: In those last days and sometimes weeks when you're expecting someone to die and you put aside the rest of your life and you sit and you sit with each other as family and you sit with a person who's dying yeah there's that's a pretty special experience if it happens well
0: you chose the title of pastor
1: well actually it was chosen before i got here my supervisor started in november when i started in the following may and they ch- they made some changes in the department and they chose a the title of pastor rather than chaplain Mainly because of the connotation, where chaplain is more is not as focused around relationships, and I'm also I have a congregation here, and so not many retirement communities have a congregation. I have a congregation here, so we're and I. It's funny I um, react when I'm called a chaplain. I like being called the pastor, because I have some really pretty amazing relationships ongoing with the residents.
0: Are there other retirement communities that have churches or congregations in the same, same way as you do here?
1: There are. Um, there would be one out towards Lancaster or out in Lancaster that has a congregation. There was a movement maybe 15 years ago to try to do that more, to have churches in retirement communities. I think it's lost some of its steam. Um, there's only one other one that I know of that has actually has a congregation. I forget. I forget which one it is. But they have a larger congregation than we do,
0: so it's pretty unique even here within the Living Branches community. Oh yeah,
1: the other campuses don't have a congregation, so we have a relationship. We have a membership role, and we have um, we give out offering envelopes, and we have ways that we connected to the conference. You know, we take an offering every year for the conference office, and so we're. I feel like well, I think we're considered a oh one of those um, connected organizations but we're still a congregation. We're you know, we're
0: fellowship. Is there a particular story from a congregant or a story of somebody living or dying here that's really touched your heart and something that you think on often?
1: Oh, my goodness. There are so many stories here. One of my favorite things I do is about once a month, I um, work with someone. Like, we're sitting here. I work with someone to tell their life story, their faith story, in front of the entire um, community. So we sit up on the platform and we tell life stories. And I'm just absolutely so amazed at the things that people do in their lives that we never learn about. One that comes to mind recently was about Grace Renneman and after she, just some of her experiences that she did going into a really poor community and teaching there and just saying yes because someone asked her to do something. And she said yes and she went into this really rural place where she had to ride a horse to get there and you know just just said yes and um, there's so many amazing stories around here it's hard to pick one
0: i think of what you do as a storyteller and i could be making an assumption but it, it sounds to me like there's a lot of listening like you have to gather the stories right so it's hearing those stories. right do you have some advice to me as a healthcare provider how i can hear that story better
1: Ah, oh, That's a good question. Mainly it is seeing the other person, and I use seeing as almost with quotes around it, that when you see them as a human being and as an individual, they sense that, and when they sense that, they will tell you their story more, and then you just have to shut down and not not want to share your story with them, but being willing to listen to them. You know, one of my favorites was uh, Ruthie Others as well, who is a relative of yours. Yep. Hmm. Yes, yes, my yeah, great aunt. Your great aunt. And she was feisty and funny and lived to be 108. And one of the things I loved that she said, you know, this place was built to take care of widows and single women. And now they can't even afford to move in, she said. And she was very feisty. She was very um, upset about that, that this had place had changed, so they couldn't afford it. And also she felt some injustice that she felt like they had put her in a corner room. They'd done some remodeling and they chose her room for her. And she, I loved her feeling of indignation and that she just didn't roll over and accept everything that was done to her and for her because she was older and because she had limitations, but she kept her fiery spirit, and that's probably why she lived to be 108, because of that fire in her spirit. Mm
0: -hmm. What do you find are the spiritual concerns of your congregation here?
1: You know, that's interesting because we have a sister community that's larger than ours, and and I think we even have different spiritual concerns in the two campuses. you know one is is certainly that there is a place for them in heaven when they die. Um, some people don't feel worthy, no matter what they've done. But you know we don't hear it as much as you might think that but that's one of them certainly, and there's there's certainly a, a fair amount of guilt that I haven't lived my life good enough, that I have um, there's things that I have done that aren't forgivable. You know that's another one that we hear. I'm amazed at how settled people are here because I don't hear that from some of the other places. And I don't know if it's who comes here or I believe that the community that's provided here helps provide a lot of comfort and support and actually increases people's lives because as they get together and their stresses decrease, you know, that isn't for everyone certainly and that comes and goes, but in the whole you know things are taken care of here there aren't the same concerns and that helps to lengthen people's life mm. yeah and I'm, I'm, I'm wandering from the question of the spiritual concerns but you know they don't there isn't a lot of sort of unrest and there's sort of the individual here and there but it's not a collective
0: I'm sure it must be difficult for these older adults to see their friends die oh very how, how do you counsel them about that
1: Well, you know, it's mainly just giving them a chance to express that sadness, and uh, there's also something about that this is, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that normalizing this part of the journey, that this is part of the life journey, death is part of the life journey, and when you normalize that, It's not something to be feared or regretted. Or we had one resident who used to read the obituaries every day in the paper because she was just checking out who got to be in heaven before she did. And, you know, there's this feeling that there isn't the same fear around death, I think, that's in the general population. And part of that is because they watch everyone around them live through it, and people survive. I mean, those left behind, certainly there's grief, but the love and support that's provided to people who have had losses is amazing. The way they gather around each other is absolutely phenomenal. And I'm an introvert, and I, I do not like to be around groups of people all the time. But I watch this community, and I think I might even, you know, would be willing to be part of something like this because of what they provide for each other. It's really unique, and it's different than our other campus. I've worked there as well. I've worked at Doc Woods, and I've worked here. And this is different here, the way they love each other. And I think that decreases the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Certainly there are the outliers, people that don't participate, people that are lonely, people that, even with the support, are lonely and afraid. But that's the exception.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you kind of tell me what a week would look like for you? And I know every week you vary, isn't this different yeah. Events?
1: Yeah, that is, it varies very much depending on who's ill, how many hospitals I have to go to, how many funerals to do. Um, But really, you know, I will do a Bible study in our dementia unit. I'll do a Bible study for our personal care dementia residents who have mild dementia, I'll do one in healthcare, might be a meeting or two, but the wonderful part of my job is that I have very few meetings. Yes. <laughs> I have very few meetings. And when I have them I start resenting a meeting. So it's really a lot of time given to planning and, and you know, doing services and relating to people. So I get to I get to do a lot of visiting.
0: How does your care extend to your congregation's families?
1: Ah, that's pretty much on an individual basis. Sometimes family members stop in my office, and I know them pretty well. Uh, my office is right outside of healthcare, so once someone gets to healthcare, they're often walking by my office all the time, and they'll stop by and talk. Or I'll meet them at the certain person's bedside, or I'll meet them in the hospital. I've had calls from family members. I am open to family members that connection with them. Some people have a lot of good support from their church, and they just don't need me as much. doesn't mean they don't relate to me, but they really have good um, support from their congregation and family, and so that they don't need me as much.
0: Have you done any bedside nursing lately?
1: Not long after I came here, when I was still working part-time, I did two, sh- two evening shifts a week for three months, just to get to know the staff and the earn some credibility. And it just about killed me. <laughs> I thought, I'm getting too old for this. But you know, it really is helpful to have my medical background. Mm-hmm. Because when I go to visit somebody in the hospital or into their room, sometimes the thing that's giving them the most anxiety is just a simple question or something I can help them with that comes from my medical background. And then we can go on to other things. And so I really value it. I don't realize how much i
0: use it i'm sure you've crossed over from nurse to pastor to chaplain and you've kind of made your own job what thoughts do you have for those of us working in healthcare or in those of us who are chaplains in healthcare how can we better take care of our patients and our congregations in those mm. places
1: the principle of cpe clinical pastoral education is always is trying to leave your own agenda outside And when you come in to visit someone, and like I said, to really see them, see them for who they are and not make assumptions about them. I mean, that happens across the board, whether you're a chaplain, a pastor, um, a doctor, a nurse, you know, and we get so consumed by the task at hand that we forget we're dealing with a real life person. And they feel that so deeply when they are not. I think when they're dismissed, I mean, that's probably the thing that is the most troubling, even here. I had a resident tell me that I can tell when the the nursing assistant walks in the room in the morning whether I'm going to have a good day or a bad day by who it is because some of them see me as a person and some of them is just a job. And people can
0: feel that and
1: sense that.
0: Does your pastoring also go to the staff that works here? Do you find yourself being pastor of the staff as well?
1: It does. It does. You know, we went through a period of time where it seemed like staff were losing children, children in their 20s, um, like in a couple of months, like three or four of them died. And I get to be pastor to the staff, um, that per- that person who lost the family member, but also the larger staff who's struggling with the, um, the fallout from that. So we're available to staff as well. So I'm of course, certain staff members take advantage of that more than others, but we're available to all staff as well.
0: Thank you so much for telling me about your congregation here. You're I welcome. I didn't understand the depth of this yeah. congregation, and it's, it's wonderful. Yeah,
1: it's great, although it looks different than the average church. We have a whole line of wheelchairs and walkers and things that, and along with those that stay because of mobility issues, there are a few people that move into the area and have no church, and they visit around and they decide they're going to be here, so it's just it's just they love they love gathering together for worship, even you know our special services, you know we can have up to 150, 160 people when a resident tells their story in the evening, that is our best attended event that we have. They love hearing each other's stories and being present to each other it's I love it.
0: Well, I have certainly. Loved hearing your story
1: Good and being present with you here in this moment. Thank you. Thank you for
0: inviting me. Thank you for being part of the conversation about faith and health on Menno HealthCast, a production of Mennonite Healthcare Fellowship in partnership with the Mennonite Incorporated. If you're interested in donating or getting involved with MHF, please go to our website and click on the link in the top right corner or email us at info at mentalhealth.org. We invite you to financially support the mission of the Mennonite Healthcare Fellowship to help continue this dialogue about the intersection of faith and health. Musical credits go to Paul Schlitz, editing and production credits to Eugene Stevanis, and I'm your host, Joanne Huntsrigger. Please join us again next time.